Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our uh, webinar or podcast because we are going to syndicate uh, our new webinars to uh, audio format to cover <laughs> the new audience. And I'm excited today to speak with awesome guest and expert in digital marketing, Jason Bernard. And before uh, I introduce my uh, guest, I want to share uh, a short story. Uh, when I uh, found Jason Bernard, uh, a few years ago, like three years ago, even more, uh, we started our Russian YouTube channel and uh, when you start from scratch uh, a lot of haters uh, uh, submitted comments bad comments you don't provide uh, something new just generic stuff and I decided to search more and I found on YouTube some uh, broadcast I think it it was some same rush and yep uh, I got the conversation uh, Jason Bernard with uh, three other speakers and I got a lot of ideas we filmed a few videos and today these videos have uh, over a hundred thousand views uh, that uh, it helps to grow our channel with a lot of subscribers and today I'm so excited to uh, speak directly with Jason how are you um, I'm doing great. Wonderful. I mean, it's, it's lovely to hear that um, video does grow over time uh, and that being patient, I think that's what a lot of us forget, is that mm -hmm. you need to be patient um, and you need to reach your audience where your audience is. Mm -hmm. um, and video is a great way of doing it. I'm, I'm fairly new to video. I certainly wasn't doing video three years ago, so uh, I've got a lot to learn. Oh, you know, I often see your video on SEMrush, even in Search Engine Journal, and uh, you prefer this format than uh, writing articles. Yeah, well, in fact, I mean, I was talking to Joost de Velk and Jono Alderson, and they were saying kind of like, you know, you, nobody had really heard of you two years ago. Uh, where did you come from? Um, why did you suddenly appear in 2018? And the answer to that is... Twofold. In 2018, it's the first time in the last 20 years I've actually been able to spend time doing anything except just making a living and surviving um, <laughs> from a day-to-day -day basis. And then uh, Anton Schulke from uh, SEMrush gave me the opportunity to do a webinar series. And when I did that, I realized that my experience making cartoons for kids years ago Mm -hmm. um, means that video is a very natural format for you. I mean, I used to be a musician, then I did cartoons. So I've been on stage, I've performed, I've done videos, and I've done voiceovers. So turns out it's actually very natural for me, and I'm, I'm enjoying it greatly. So I've been a little over two years now. Mm, yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, um, it's interesting. Uh, I often see you uh, on SEMrush broadcasts, uh, and you are host of this broadcast. That means you cooperate with SEMrush or working there? Oh, no, not at all. No, no, no. I don't work with or for mm -hmm. SEMrush. I, I like the tool. I think it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, value-filled tool. It, it's one of the tools that offers you the most possibilities and options. So it's kind of this, this vast array of options. So it's great for somebody who's kind of starting out in SEO and needs, needs some support and some help. Um, so I, I work with them because I like the tool and I like the people. I think the people are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 great tool, I know. Uh, okay, uh, um, before we start, introduce a little bit more about your experience, uh, especially in digital marketing field. And uh, I learned right. that <laughs> you are a musician as well. It's interesting how you combine those niches <laughs> yeah well I, mean, I started in digital marketing 22 years ago uh, with the blue dog and if you can share my screen i can actually do a little presentation that okay. i quite like oh, okay. sure, sure. um here you go uh, I'm, I'm obsessed by brand serps and this is my standard kind of slide deck about brand serps a brand serp is what appears when somebody googles your name and when i look at my own brand serp here you go um it looks pretty impressive I look like I know what I'm doing, which I do, of course. Um, but it, it's something I've been working on for seven years now. Seven years to make it look this good. Seven years ago, it was a list of blue links with other Jason Barnards appearing. There was a guy who'd driven down the motorway at 157 miles an hour. Um, 
And, and that was coming up for my name. And I thought I need to get rid of that. And I need to make sure that when I go and sell my services to clients face to face, when they look me up as soon as I walk out of the room, they see something positive, accurate and convincing. Um, and interestingly enough, what's, what, what happens is when you, when you talk to somebody about your business, you go and see them. You talk to them, they're incredibly convinced because he's saying, oh, I've got these great services, I'm brilliant, they're brilliant at that. They look you up on Google as soon as you walk out of the room. It's your business card. And if it looks great, you've probably made the sale. If it looks rubbish, you've probably lost the sale. So this is, this is for me, phenomenally important. I thought when I started, okay, I'll start doing this and it'll take me a few months, get it sorted out, and then I can forget about it. And in fact, it turns out seven years later, I'm still working on it and I'm still making it better and I'm still learning every time I do anything on it. Um, in particular with the knowledge panels, I've been really, really, really enthusiastic about knowledge panels recently. Uh, it's all to do with the knowledge graph, how Google understands who we are, what we do, and your knowledge panel, excuse me, should truly describe who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And in my case, at least, ex explain, describe your life. Um, the knowledge panel is Google's understanding of who you are and what you do. And that is the fundamental basis of all SEO today. If it understands who you are, what you do, and what you offer, and who your audience is, it can start to think about offering you up as a solution to its users' problems or an answer to their questions when they search on Google. So here we go. Here's my life in a knowledge panel and a knowledge and a, and a brand SERP. Um, I used to be a blue dog in a cartoon. Uh, I started doing digital 22 years ago with the Blue Dog. As a Blue Dog, I was promoting the Blue Dog and Yellow Koala site. As you can see, we made a TV series, which is up there in my knowledge panel. Uh, I also wrote some songs, which you can see in the knowledge panel. I now have a podcast. Uh, you can see that in my brand tip as well with all these great guests. Next week, I've got Bill Slavsky on, which is going to be really cool. I'm a speaker and a host. Uh, all these videos appear of the places I've appeared, uh, talks I've given, and presentations I've done. Uh, I'm an author, Search Engine Journal, SEMrush, OnCrawl, Search Engine Land. Uh, I'm a tutor and coach at uh, CaddyCube, teaching people about brand SERPs and knowledge panels. So as you can see, for me, I can explain who I am, what I do, and who my audience is just through what appears when you search my brand name and recent um, recently, I got this at the bottom. You see people also search for Google now associates me with people like Rand Fishkin, Bill Slavsky, Cindy Crumb, Hamlet Batista. And that's an incredibly important part of your, your branding and your, your understanding by Google. If it understands that I'm associated with Bill Slavsky and Rand Fishkin, it understands that I'm in the digital marketing space and that I'm an expert, which is incredibly powerful and will become more powerful, especially with things like Google Discover, where Google's going to start pushing the podcasts, the videos to people who are interested in digital marketing because it understands that I'm in digital marketing. My content is to do with digital marketing. So somebody who's interested in digital marketing is by definition interested in what I have to say. There you go. That's the brand SERP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. You know, uh, once I listened to audio podcasts, uh, um, I don't remember the name of this guy, but uh, he built a six-figured six out business uh, uh, by optimizing LinkedIn profiles. That's it. You know, <laughs> he uh, doesn't do anything, just uh, helping with optimizing LinkedIn profiles. And uh, uh, one of his clients, uh, Tony Robinson and many others. And yeah, he charges a lot to optimize these profiles. And uh, I thought, what's going on? <laughs> Why I need to optimize something special on my LinkedIn profile? And when I listened to this audio podcast, I got it. No way. It's selfish. Uh, I need to rewrite everything. And uh, I resubmit all information. Uh, and, you know, uh, Today, my profile uh, shares information how I can help others to grow uh, because uh, nobody cares about you. Uh, everyone cares about themselves. And yep, it's crucial to provide this information. Uh, but uh, what about Google? How we can um, highlight these points uh, uh, with your uh, SERP uh, when people searching for your names? It helps to improve click-through rate because they're searching for you or uh, I don't know, why well, we need to do it? it 
It depends where you're coming from. I mean, I, I, I try and explain it to marketers. It's a really nice entry into digital marketing for people who've just been doing marketing for years. It's your business card. It's what your audience sees. I mean, if, if I, um, I was going to slip forward in the, in the slide deck, you can actually see uh, why mm -hmm. it's so important. First of all, you've got these people searching your brand name. Um, mm -hmm. I walk through, hold on. There you go, your audience. There you go. Who, who's mm -hmm. searching your brand name? That's an incredibly obvious question when I say it to you. But until I say it to you, you haven't really thought it through. Everybody who searches your business name, everybody who's an A-list person for your business is going to search your business name, your brand name at some point in their journey. Prospects, obviously. And you kind of think, well, if, if my brand search looks bad, I might well lose the sale. But then you push that further and you say clients will search your brand name to navigate your site potentially multiple times per day. If they mm -hmm. see something consistently positive, consistently convincing, they're going to stick with you. But if they see something negative or unconvincing, they could well jump ship, especially if your competitors are ranking on your brand set. And then I was talking to a guy who's in SEO uh, who said, oh, I just do um, SEO for startups. So I don't care about the brand search because nobody searches the brand name. We get three searches a day. And then you say, but the three searches a day, one of them is going to be that million-dollar investor that you've worked so hard to convince that they should invest. They search the brand name, and it looks really impressive. You've got the million dollars, and it's only one person, and it's only one sale, but it's the biggest sale your brand is ever going to make. Then you've also got partners, a partner who's thinking about working with you, you know, they're going to research you. They'll look around on LinkedIn. They'll look around on, on various sites, but they'll also search your brand name at some point. And if you think back to my brand search, you've got the podcast boxes, the image boxes. You've got the video boxes. You've got the, the big knowledge panel. That's all very convincing. And now for a brand or a person, I mean, a person still has a personal brand. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly important to look impressive to all of these people who are searching your brand name because all of these people who are searching your brand name are A-list people who matter the most to your business. Then, if you look at it from Google's point of view, it's Google's assessment of the world's opinion of you. If Google's showing rubbish on your brand SERP, it means that it thinks that rubbish is valuable and relevant to your audience. It means it thinks that that information is pertinent. So if you've got bad reviews ranking, it thinks those bad reviews represent your business. That shows that you are untrustworthy. If it's showing stuff that truly relates to your business, and in my case for Caligib, for example, it's the podcast, it's my own site, it's the videos, it's showing that it understands that those videos correspond to my business. And if you look right at the bottom, of the SERP and you see related searches, you'll see for CaliCube, it's knowledge panel and it's brand SERP. It understands that that's what CaliCube is expert in. It's what people are searching around my brand name. That's sending a very strong message to Google that that's where CaliCube is expert and authoritative and trustworthy. And the same for me. So looking at from Google's point of view, that's Google's assessment of the world's opinion of you. And then lastly, of course, for you, it's a representation of how good or bad your digital ecosystem and your content strategy are. If you've just got those 10 blue links, it means either you've got no great content out there or Google hasn't understood that that content is valuable to your audience because what it shows on your brand SERP is what it feels is valuable to your audience. So it's a really nice window into how well you're doing with your content strategy. And a good example that I use a lot when we were talking about video is if you're investing a lot of time and energy and money into video, but they're not ranking on your brand SERP, it means you're investing that money badly. If you're doing a lot of twi Twitter activity, you're working hard on Twitter, but you don't have the Twitter boxes, that's bad investment once again. Google isn't seeing the engagement it needs to see and the quality it needs to see for it to be ranking that on your brand SERP. And well, first of all, considering that it's useful, valuable, and interesting to your audience, and then ranking it on your brand SERP. So there's three points of view, your audience, Google, and yourself. I can't mm -hmm. see anything more important. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, oh, great. Okay. Back to the conversation. Okay. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, 
uh, um, I have a question about uh, reviews. You know, uh, for example, um, um, when uh, a company uh, has strong brand recognition, but uh, some bad reviews as well, and mm. all these reviews are, are ranking. Uh, what is your suggestion how to fix it or uh, uh, where to go, perhaps try to uh, outrank these pages or fix these reviews? Uh, which way to use? <laughs> well, I mean, in the specific cases of reviews, you rarely get a majority of reviews on your first page. Google's going to choose a couple of platforms at most that it's going to rank. Sometimes you do. And, mm -hmm. and that, that just means that Google hasn't got anything else that it thinks is worth ranking, which means your content strategy is rubbish. If you have decent videos, it will rank the videos and they will get rid of some reviews. That, that's, that's replacing these boring mm -hmm. blue links, reviews in this case, with something more interesting, something more multimedia. Google wants to be multimedia because that's what people are looking for, especially on mobile devices. So your first trick there is to say, right, I've got five review sites on my brand SERP. I mean, I can only think of one brand that has that. Um, mm -hmm. And I won't name them, but um, I'm working with them a little bit to see what we can do about that. Um, you can immediately start saying, right, what content, the Twitter boxes, the image boxes, the video boxes that I can get up there that will replace these reviews. And if you, if you think about it, as soon as you get video boxes, for example, they take up two spaces. So you, you potentially kill a blue link. So instead of having 10 blue links to deal with, you only have nine, and that's easier. Uh, the second thing is with review platforms is ask yourself why Google is ranking these review platforms. Sometimes it's ranking them because they are powerful in themselves. For example, Trustpilot will tend to rank very well. Um, and sometimes it's ranking them because they're extremely relevant, you know, niche review sites. Mm -hmm. But most of all, if, it, if it's ranking bad reviews, it thinks those bad reviews are representative of your brand. Take a big step back, start asking yourself some questions. Um, but as you said, you know, I mean, you, you can also deal with, you can push your clients through to those reviews platforms where you're getting the less good reviews and try to boost them. But I would suggest that any brand that has more than one, maybe two review sites ranking on their first page needs to look at themselves from, sorry, look needs to look at their content strategy. A typical brand set will have a social profile, probably two. They're more relevant to your audience than mm -hmm. five or six review platforms. It will have videos because you've got a great video strategy. It will have a, a Twitter box because you have a great Twitter strategy. I mean, so the, 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 the question of having loads of review sites becomes redundant if you've got a decent content strategy. Okay, in your presentation, I saw that you submitted uh, the each parameter, expertise, authority, trustworthiness. Uh, how to optimize with this parameter? Uh, what to do, uh, for example, uh, trust is more uh, related with uh, some information on your website uh, and authority with backlinks or um, any suggestions in this direction? I mean, authority, yes, backlinks, why not? That's one measure of authority. I think it's really important to bear in mind that links mm -hmm. are just relationships between web pages, in which case they, they do show authority if you've got great backlinks from other sites that are truly authoritative, trustworthy, and relevant. Mm -hmm. And I often give the, give the example, I mean, there's, there's a question of trust-based knowledge, uh, which was brought to the fore uh, by Zin Luna Dong, who used to work for Google, now works for Amazon. And she uses the example of a gossip site. Um, here in France, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, the name of one in the UK, but I live in France. And in France, the gossip site is called Voici. And they're the ones that show all the stars in bikinis on beaches. And they say, oh, so-and-so splitting up with so-and-so. The other person's looking fat instead of being thin. All of that rubbish, most of which is untrue, none of which is trustworthy. <clears throat> Typically, mm -hmm. that kind of site has boatloads of in in inbound links. Those inbound links are not a sign that they're an authoritative web website in any way, manner, or form. They're a sign that they're popular, and it's not the same thing. So with links, you have to be very careful to distinguish between popularity and authoritativeness. Wikipedia, for example, is both popular and authoritative. 
Voici my example of the gossip site is popular but not authoritative, believable or trustworthy in any way, manner of one or form. Certainly not expert either. Um, so look, look at links from that point of view and then start thinking about um, how do I look authoritative? And being authoritative is being cited. Or being expert, being authoritative is being cited by your peers, being cited by people within your industry. As you said earlier on, you were saying we wrote, wrote lots of blog articles. I don't know where you wrote the blog articles, but if you want to be seen as expert and authoritative, you need to pick the sites you're, you're writing articles with, the partner, partnerships that you're creating very carefully. That once again, that idea of pure backlinks doesn't function in the, in the concept of expertise, authority, and trust. Um, and, and the last thing I think it's really important to remember is that when we were all terribly excited about links and Google's algorithm was written by people, mm -hmm. writing lines of code that says links are really important, this idea is terribly weighted within the algorithm we have written. Human beings have designed an algorithm to create the results that the human beings wanted. And now it's machine learning. So nobody's writing those lines of code anymore. So the people are no longer actually deciding what is a signal of trustworthiness or expertise or, or, or authority. They're saying to the machine, this is what a good result looks like. If you can create a good result, you get a big plus point from us in our metrics. If you can't, you'll get a minus point. So it's, it's saying, we give you the target you want to aim for we give you the mathematical formulas and the data to help you, the, 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 the labeled data to help you try and make that result. Then we're going to measure the results you return. If they're good, we will tell you they're good. And that's um, um, affirmative uh, information that says, yes, this is the right track to be on. And if it's wrong, we'll tell you that it's wrong. So we will then give you that, that, that um information that's telling you to correct, corrective information, which means that even though the human beings have said to the machine, we think links are important, the machine might well be using something completely different. The machine will be A, using what it's been told, and then it will start to move away from that and use both different weightings to the ones we might imagine as human beings, and also start using uh, factors and elements and signals that we haven't even thought of. So uh, I think as an SEO community, we would do well to start focusing on what are the metrics that, these, that the engineers at Google and at Bing are using to measure the success and the failure, and how are they measuring it, and how are they feeding that information back in, and stop trying to think this is a factor, that's a factor. Try and look at it from a global point of view of what are the signals that this machine is looking for so that it can perform its task in pleasing or meeting the metrics that these uh, engineers have given it. Okay, I got it. Um, uh, let's uh, give some practical uh, tips. I know machine learning uh, uh, decides uh, which pages to run, but when you type any brand on Google, you can see uh, not only uh, social media profiles, yep, we can uh, optimize them, uh, work there, but uh, Google usually ranks some uh, domain page, page about us, uh, and uh, other uh, pages um, and sub pages on the website. Where to pay more attention uh, in the main page, page about us, or uh, section B on your blog? Uh, and uh, what kind of information to submit there to improve trust? Well, I mean, the thing, if, if you don't have an about page, for example, mm -hmm. um, the machine won't say, oh, you don't have an about page, therefore big mark down. But what, what it is going to be looking for is the kind of things that sites that rank well have. And most sites with a decent... Uh, exposure to their, their clients and their audience are going to show an about page uh, in a reasonably visible spot on their site. As a human being, we don't want to go to a site and to be mm -hmm. struggling to find who it is and how to contact them. So the machine will tend to be seeing from, I mean, the, the, the rate of quality um, 
judges will 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 tend to send feedback saying this is a good page and that's a bad page based on the fact of what they can find and what they can't. Google explicitly tells them, can you find that information easily? So the, the feedback, excuse me, that the, the machine is getting mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. saying these sites that don't have these about us pages and contact us pages that are easy to access for the users will tend to be considered to be bad results. And the ones that do have that kind of um, exposure for who they are and what they do and how to contact them shows that they are more trustworthy and will tend to tend to push higher up. I mean, but once again, I'm not saying, oh, it's a factor or a, or a particular signal. I'm saying that it's a common denominator of quality sites mm -hmm. is that they will have an about page, a login page, and a contact page that are easy to find. So maybe we're talking about looking for common denominators. Yeah, and you know, um, I usually... Uh, you have I... a very strange message at the bottom. It would be really good if you took it away because it's it's very strange. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I took away. <laughs> I didn't read it, by the way. <laughs> okay, I will read the next time before submitting on the screen. And... Um, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, for my clients, when they uh, come to me uh, and I check out their pages, um, the main page, uh, page about us, uh, section bio, uh, I always tell them submit more photos, personal photos. Don't use some uh, store images uh, mm. because uh, it hurts user experience. People will not trust you. Uh, it's, it depends on you. Of course, machine learning can uh, decide, but you can improve uh, user experience and it helps to rank uh, your pages and improve trust. For example, uh, I often see when uh, some websites uh, have blogs for the sake of having it. They don't mm. submit some unique stuff, some uh, interesting information. They hire some uh, writers who uh, don't know their topic and submit a lot of articles with low quality uh, and uh, the section bio admin or something like this. You know uh, how you can improve trust. It's totally the same when you're reading books. You, you want to know the author of this book. Uh, you want to uh, cooperate with people, uh, not with uh, website brand. Uh, it's better to submit your real name your social media profiles that people might check it out uh, or uh, your personal photos and yeah just spend time make uh, high quality photos submit them and uh, get more exposure yeah i think uh, it helps a lot with trust what do you feel sure and i mean the the, the question that the people or companies write lots of blog posts they create a blog because that's what they think they need to do. And they say, well, I'll submit an article every week and then I can show the boss that I'm doing something. And I think it was Ahrefs who said 94% of content on the web gets yeah. no organic traffic. I mean, I don't know what the figure Even is. Even websites. Websites don't have organic traffic, 91%. Yeah, but the figure doesn't actually matter. And the, the point that kind of I yeah, think yeah, Ahrefs were trying to make and very successfully Mm -hmm. is that a lot of this content is junk, not in that it's spam, it's just useless and it's never visited and isn't used by people. And I often, when I start talking to clients, say to them, look at this article, who's that written for? And I say, oh, it's our clients. They say, well, who's asking that question? Who's actually interested in that point of view or that topic? And the answer is the person who wrote it. They're <laughs> writing about what they want to write about. They're not being empathetic to what their audience is looking for. Uh, and I find that deeply frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to have, I mean, you, you can have that strategy. It's absolutely fine. If you then say, this is my kind of focal point. I mean, because I can't honestly say anybody's interested in brand SERPs except me. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing about brand SERPs. Nobody's searching for brand SERPs. But what I then need to do, and it's a struggle, is build up that interest by convincing people one by one that this is incredibly important. So I'm actually coming from my own point of view, but I'm so convinced that this is important and that the three uh, aspects that I showed earlier on, that it's important for you, it's important for Google, and it's important for your clients, is something that nobody can ignore. So, but then I can't count on Google, we were talking about earlier on, I can't count on Google to send me traffic because nobody's searching for this stuff. So my solution is to do a content strategy, which is to push the content out to people and start trying to convince people. Uh, and it's educating and, and pulling people into this idea rather than saying, and this is something else I find frustrating, people sitting back and saying, Google's gonna send me lots of traffic. 
um, you know, we it's not some, I mean, Google's job is obviously to send its users to the solution to their problem or the answer to their question. It doesn't actually owe us anything. We're saying, we want your traffic, Google, please. So we're actually kind of turning up and saying, like, we want the traffic, please send us the traffic. And Google's going, oh, here you go. So then we've got this kind of whole debate about um, do, do I deserve the traffic? And that's another interesting question is when I create this content, A, are people searching for it? B, do I deserve the traffic more than other people, more than my competitors? Mm-hmm. And then we come to this idea, which I, I wrote about on Search Engine Journal, which I'm terribly keen on, which is understanding credibility and deliverability. And it's basically the three pillars that I use for SEO. It's to say everything you need you do in SEO is to package your content for Google if you want Google to send you the traffic. So it's all about saying, I need to make sure that Google understands what it is I'm offering. If it understands, it can, can potentially consider my answer, my solution for the question or the problem that its user has expressed. Secondly, once it's understood that I have the answer and my competitor has the answer and that they're more or less equivalent, I mean, the differences are relatively small, which is the most credible? Which is the one that is going to satisfy Google's users? Which one does Google feel is most likely to result in a satisfied Google user. Don't forget they're Google users to start with, not yours. So you're asking Google to recommend your solution. It's understood your solution. It's then recommending it because it's the most credible. And the third one is the idea of deliverability. Even if you have the solution and the solution is the most credible, if if Google's user, sorry, is looking for video, but you have text, you're not deliverable. If your website isn't mobile friendly and the user is on mobile, you're not deliverable. If your site is so slow that, and they're on a 3G connection that the site will load in 15 seconds, you're not deliverable. So you've got that concept of deliverability. So even, I mean, the deliverability is gonna be speed, mobile friendliness, but also the format, the way you present your, your content. Um, uh, and, and looking at it from those three perspectives, making sure Google understands what it is you're offering, making sure it understands that you're the most credible solution, making sure that it can deliver on its SERP or it is confident that you can deliver on your site are the only three things you need to worry about, packaging your content for Google. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, uh, you talked about uh, creating content strategy. Uh, when um... I'm talking with digital marketers, <laughs> they always provide different solutions. You know, even uh, my company, we usually search for topics with a lack of quality content because sometimes it's uh, tough to overcome big websites, popular websites, for example, in digital marketing. Uh, I think it's literally impossible to outrank Neil Patel, Moss, uh, HRFs, mm. especially if you start from scratch. It takes time, uh, a few years, I think so, even more, and sometimes you can't sure. get results. Uh, how to find the right strategy? Uh, for example, if you start from scratch, you have no traffic, and, but you want to get it. Uh, where to go? Well, you you have to address the questions and the, the, well, the problems and the questions that your audience are truly asking. And I think as SEOs, we go straight to these tools and we look up the keyword volume. We think that's a big volume. I'll go for that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you said, it's very difficult to rank for these keywords because you have this uh, existing content that Neil Patel being a great example, because he's got that historical information, the historical data. I actually have a, a page from the site I created for the blue dog I mentioned earlier on. Um, and we created it in 2003 and it's absolute rubbish. And it was mm-hmm. optimized for the keyword density purely. And it ranked number one and we beat the machine and it was really easy and it still ranks number one and it hasn't changed since 2003, which is a phenomenal achievement, but it's also because it actually delivers. The page Mm -hmm. is rubbish and it's got this keyword optimization, which I find quite embarrassing, Mm -hmm. but it delivers. Every time somebody visits the site, they say that the site has got a visit, an average visit length of 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal. And so kind of basically Google saying, why would I demote this page? Because it keeps delivering. 
So uh, from a content point of view, um, I got a bit off track there, but um, look at what your customers are asking for. Look at what, the, what questions they're asking or what problems they're expressing to Google and start by answering those rather than looking for the keyword um, volumes, the, the search volumes of different keywords. Being empathetic to your audience is the first step. And uh, I was talking about the tools you should be asking yourself, what are my customers asking me? What are my prospects asking me? That's the first place to start. Start answering those questions, mm-hmm. the questions that are around your topic. And you mentioned once again earlier on that you created a phenomenal amount of content to be able to rank for some keywords, and now you're pulling in loads of visits. And you know, kudos to you, you stuck with it for three years. But you could also have said, let's start working around my core topic and build out from that core topic little by little. And I will get to those core terms in the end. Now, I have a client uh, called UBG. Mm-hmm. UBG, are, uh, they, they, they provide the profiles for eSIMs. eSIMs are a new thing, so we create them a Q&A section, um, or an FAQ section. And we've gone from zero traffic to well over 1,000 people a day. And what's been very interesting in that is the keyword eSIM, which everybody's aiming for, we've started ranking for it not because we have a, a page that's specifically aimed at eSIM, but because we've been working around the topic. We've worked around it so well that we've proved ourselves to be able to answer all these questions around this very specific topic, that the short head terms are now coming into our sphere of uh, ranking naturally, logically. Uh, Google has understood that we are experts, that we can provide this service and that we're doing it very, very well. So. There's, a, there's an approach that can work if, if you're saying, this is just too big for me. Start at the center and work your way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this suggestion. Okay, uh, I need to rethink some of my strategies as well. But, because but, I, that, that, well, that's an FAQ strategy. Sorry, I mean, I, I actually spoke on a, a webinar with Authoritas and it was quite an interesting um, mm-hmm. webinar because they said, can you talk about content strategy? I said, actually, it's not my specialist subject. And in fact, it turns out because of all these videos I've done, the podcasts I've done, and the clients I've worked on, the FAQ section, I've come to be to be uh, an expert in, in the sense that I understand how this can function. And what I ended up doing was saying, actually, if you have on your site a section that aims at answering those short, simple questions that people are asking, you bring them to the website, you're proving to, you, to Google that you're an expert, you're proving that you can help people, you're helping people out, they appreciate the fact that you've helped them. And then for the rest of the content, you were talking about blog articles, perhaps rather than write a blog article, you should write uh, a Facebook post or a LinkedIn post or a Twitter uh, post with a graphic image, uh, with a visual image, sorry, and then use your blog as the landing page for the content that you have created specifically for social. Mm-hmm. rather than doing it the other way around. So look at look at your social channel and say, what what are my users going to engage with? What are, what are we going to get them engaging with on the platforms where they're already hanging out? And then pull them into the site with a, an expanded version of that content, perhaps a full video interview of a short extract that you've put on Facebook. But the idea is that the first place you're getting them is Facebook and not on your site and that you create the content specifically for Facebook, for Twitter, for Medium, for YouTube. YouTube's a great example. I mean, that's what I do with the with the CaliCube Tuesdays and my, my podcast. Create it all on YouTube and then bring people or bring the content as a secondary source on my site. So it's saying rather than going from me outwards, going to where people already are, creating the content they engage with, and then providing an alternative on my site. And that brings the advantage that Google then becomes your bonus because it's already paid for itself on the platform you created it for. And all you're doing on your own site, and we come back to that idea I mentioned earlier, is packaging it for Google. You're saying, I have this video and I can do a transcript or I can write a summary and then I can package it for Google with the understanding, the credibility, and the deliverability that I mentioned earlier, and then push it out. And that traffic is a bonus, and it's not the be-all and end-all for my company and for my content. My content is living and dying already on its own merits 
on the platforms where my audience is already hanging out. Mm, yeah, got it. Interesting. Um, uh, I have the question about personal or uh, business brand. Uh, mm. If you start from scratch, if you don't know where to go, uh, what do you suggest? For, for example, I, I can share my personal example. Um, I try to promote my personal name on YouTube. You know, but uh, for English audience, it doesn't work. <laughs> People right. uh, don't don't know me. Uh, yeah, I need to create my brand awareness to help them on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, any other platforms. And after this, perhaps I can create my YouTube channel because uh, a few times I changed my name on YouTube. Uh, from SEO Tools TV uh, to Anatoly Walidovsky, and I found that people don't want to subscribe. You know, I, I uh, uh, got uh, in 10 times less subscribers than if I have just my name SEO Tools TV. But uh, in um, other cases, I see that uh, personal brand works much better. Uh, perhaps people uh, uh, don't understand this Ukrainian name. <laughs> uh, that, that's okay, you know, perfectly fine. I don't want to criticize. I just uh, want to highlight my example. And what is your suggestion? Uh, to right. uh, Well, if, if, if I had your name, I would create myself a simpler nickname that works in English. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I think everyone has to be English, but because if your audience is English speaking, they will never get your name. Uh, but if you can create a, a nickname that's simpler um, and that's more mm-hmm. more approachable to English people or English language people, or in the internet, actually, I just said English, I'm wrong. The international audience whose common language mm-hmm. happens to be English, which is a better way of putting it, uh, then you're rebranding yourself. You're creating yourself a brand. So if you, you can actually then pick a unique brand because Unique brands are much easier to deal with in terms of brand SERPs and creating your own personal brand or your brand than something that's ambiguous. I mean, I use the example of Yellow Door. If you call your company Yellow Door because you think it's really cool, um, it's ambiguous. Google is going to have an awful lot of problems deciding what to show. It's going to show pictures of yellow doors. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to show your company. But then Yellow Door means the company. It's also a song. It's a video. It's ambiguous. It's a terrible idea to call your, your company today something like Yellow Door if you want to perform on Google and if you want to manage your brand SERP. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, I mean, from that perspective, it's saying if you, if you have a common name or if you have a complicated name, get a nickname, brand yourself around that. That's the solution. If you have a common name, add a middle initial. A guy called Patrick Powers added himself a middle initial. M, Patrick M. Powers. So that's a way to distinguish yourself. It's to disambiguate, which helps Google, and it also helps people. Because people, uh, I mean, obviously, we all have a problem with ambiguity. Um, And the the other thing about personal branding, when you're talking about personal branding for people, Neil Patel is a person, he he loves it. He loves being out there in his pajamas, doing his videos, absolutely wonderful. That's his thing. Some people just don't like that. People just don't have the personality for it. They don't have uh, the the desire to do it. Don't try to create a personal brand if you're not willing to follow through and put yourself out there day in, day out. You can't say, oh, I'll be a personal brand. I'll push my brand out there for the next three months and then go and sleep for five months. It doesn't work. And I was reading an article about, I think it was Barry Gibb. I mean, he, from the, from the, um, uh, the Gibb brothers, what was their name? The name of their group? Yeah. Oh. I can help you because I don't. Saturday see. night, the Bee Gees, excuse me, I was forgetting. Oh. The, the Gibb brothers, the Bee Gees. And basically, he said uh, this, there's being famous and there's being so famous that it becomes unbearable. Mm-hmm. And there is that thing as well, I think, is that when, I mean, I, I, you said earlier on I was a, a musician, I wanted to be a rock star. I don't know if I could have handled being so famous that everything I did was in the public spotlight. Probably not. So you have to also ask yourself, am I willing to go that far? Am I willing to go down that route? That's an extreme example. Barry Gibb, obviously, incredibly difficult life living in the in the spotlight like that but if if you're um somebody who's thinking well maybe i should maybe i shouldn't maybe i should maybe i shouldn't really think about are you willing to follow through because once you started it's very difficult to pull back yeah 
Yeah, interesting size. Uh, what about patience? Uh, <laughs> I, I know that everyone wanna get quick results. Today yeah. it's literally impossible. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, even uh, if someone creates viral content um, uh, without experience, in, in the few days uh, you can't see this content anymore. And yeah, it, it takes time. For example, my 10 years old son. Um, I decided to uh, submit content on TikTok, and uh, uh, he, uh, uh, I don't know, he, he filmed uh, around 100 videos and got a few followers and told me, uh, I don't want to do it, people don't follow me. I told him, no way, just do it, consistency is essential. And after this, he uh, started again and stopped. Uh, and I asked, uh, what's going on? Uh, uh, he replied that people uh, wrote bad comments. I told him, no way, go, go ahead, forget about these haters, just just do it. And uh, during uh, uh, like six months, he got only uh, 20 followers. But uh, in the last 10 days, uh, he uh, got uh, like 10 followers a day uh, because consistency helps to improve quality and confidence in his videos. And I often see a um, similar situation when people started posting uh, on uh, social media or want to uh, get results. They are not willing to wait. Uh, what suggestions you can give them you know, uh, about patience? Well, I mean, I think kind of posting day in, day out or creating content day in, day out and not seeing any visible return is soul-destroying. And I think that's that's one of the hardest things for us as humans to deal with um, is you push this content out and you don't seem to be getting um, any return, number one. Number two is people are incredibly lazy and they just want a button they can press that mm -hmm. and everything will work. And, and digital marketing, unfortunately, and the uh, internet in general, uh, is perceived to be this magic bullet. And I find that very frustrating, is that um, pe people seem to think that it will work and it will work straight away because there's so many people on the internet is this magic kind of solution to all their problems of attracting clients. And as you rightly said, simply isn't like that. Uh, it's like anything in life. Um, you need to produce quality content, you need to appeal to your audience, and you need to be consistent. And that consistency uh, is possibly the hardest uh, part, simply because of the fact that each time you do it, and the return doesn't seem to be worth it, you want to give up. And you've got to keep going and keep going and keep going if you want it to work uh, work out. Um, once again, the, the, the podcast and Cali Cube Tuesdays, I started creating an event because we I couldn't travel anymore due to the COVID. I started mm -hmm. creating an event in June, did a weekly event June, July, very little traction. August, the traction started. So it was three months before any kind of traction started. And it was very difficult getting through those first two months because you think, is it worth it? Is it ever going to happen? And the answer is, if it's quality, if it appeals truly to your audience, and it, it's really on the mark, yes, it will work. But it won't just work because you're pushing it out there. It will work because you're pushing it out there. It appeals to your audience and you're making the effort to actually communicate. You're communicating with your potential audience to pull them in. Um, and one thing I have noticed with the Cali Cube Tuesdays, which I've been very pleased about, is um, now on Mondays and Tuesdays, there's a, a peak in searches in my on my name. Mm -hmm. because I've done it every Tuesday, every single Tuesday for the last six or seven months. Uh, so what's happened is that, sorry, is that people now expect, so on Mondays mm -hmm. and Tuesdays, they start thinking, oh, Jason Barnard, his podcast is coming out tomorrow. We've got Cali Cube Tuesdays uh -huh. tomorrow. So you get this peak in traffic, which is A, important for me, because it makes me feel better about all the work I've been putting in, that people are actually interested in what I'm doing, that my personal brand is starting to make sense to people. Google sees this and sees that Mondays and Tuesdays are an important day, but also through the, the search volume, excuse me, but also because I post every Tuesday, Google now expects every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so you get, even Google understands this consistency. And what I've seen, I mean, my exper experiments on the knowledge graph um, that I've been doing is how to push things into the knowledge graph. I've been working with a company called WordLift, who are an Italian company who are absolutely brilliant. And we've managed to create uh, an entity-based content model 
around the podcast, around the Caddy Cube Tuesdays event, that Google now understands that we have this series with all these episodes, with all these people talking about all these topics, and it expects a new one every Tuesday. So when I post a new episode, it gets into the knowledge graph in literally five minutes. So we, what we have is Google saying, okay, this is a Tuesday. This is Jason Barnard. This is CaliCube. It's CaliCube Tuesdays. Bingo. In the knowledge graph it goes, I understand, and I, I'm, I'm confident I've understood. And that's in my understanding, credibility, and deliverability uh, pillars, I've nailed understanding. I've also nailed partially credibility. It believes in me. When I post something, it believes that I'm telling the truth. I'm credible. And the deliver deliverability part is like you were saying here, I've got the video, I also push it out as a podcast. I also push it out often as an article. So we have that deliverability in terms of format. And then on my site, I have the video, you can watch it on, on your mobile phone, the, the site is mobile friendly and so on and so forth. So it is a content strategy and it it's a strategy in the sense that it, it fulfills all of these different pillars, fulfills the needs of my audience. And it's a strategy, I think you have to remember that, that's maybe the, the, the last word on this, is uh, if I were to do one thing and it worked, that would be a tactic. I, I publish one article and it does everything for me. That's a tactic. A strategy mm -hmm. is doing it day in, day out, every day until it actually makes this solid mass of, 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 of whatever it is, of, of being. Mm -hmm. uh, before oh, good the... tips in brand naming. Oh, I've got lots of good tips in brand naming. Number one is forget about keyword rich brand names. That's rubbish. Mm -hmm. You're creating yourself an awful lot of trouble. Um, I mean, I remember back in the day, you, you would give your company the name of, you know, fridgescheapprices.com. And you mm -hmm. would call your company Fridges Cheap Prices, and Google was stupid enough to rank it because it happened to be called exactly what it was. And we call that in English calling a cat a cat. Um, and those days are over. The problem, if you're now called uh, Fridges Cheap Sales, is that you are now competing with all those generic terms for your own brand space. People can't find you. If they do find you, you're not looking so, so, so cool. So like I said for you for the nickname earlier on, you're looking more for something that's unique. And then you want to, the other thing about those kind of very yellow door, for example, yellow door, you have a problem of ambiguity, not because it's a specific keyword, but because there is a thing called a yellow door. And you're competing in terms of ambiguity with something that is very solidly understood by Google and by people. So and that second part is important. People have preconceived ideas. If I happen to be afraid of yellow, yellow door's a crap name for your company. I, I will never work with you as a, as a client. Um, but if you create a name that is unique and distinct, then you get to create the meaning of that word. And that's, once again, we're coming back to this idea of, um, of, of consistency and sticking with it. It's harder to start with a name that's unique and create meaning for that name. But in the long term, it pays much, much better because you're not ambiguous. You've created your own message around a word that you invented as opposed to cheap fridge sales, which has ambiguity built in and has preconceived ideas built in. So there's a reason that people have paid a fortune for inventing new brand names. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a, okay, uh, you talked about consistency. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, Brian Dean uh, shares his tips that uh, consistency doesn't work in SEO. It's better to uh, submit. Who says that, sorry? Uh, Brian Dean. Brian Dean, uh, right, okay. Yeah, Brian Dean shares uh, his tips that consistency doesn't work in SEO. It's better to produce quality, uh, less but quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, social media, uh, yeah, it's better. Oh, oh, excuse me, just just to interrupt. I never said consistent crap is going to work. Mm -hmm. Consistent quality is going to work. So, mm -hmm. I mean, Brian Dean, I've, I've never heard him say that, but uh, quality content uh, that, that appeals to your audience is one of the things I did insist on. Being consistent with it is incredibly important. And, and what I would say is if, if consistency, if you can't create quality content on a weekly basis, 
Do mm -hmm. it on a monthly basis. Do it yeah. on a quarterly basis. Do it on a yearly basis. But be consistent. Consistency for me is key, but it doesn't ever come at the price of quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Brandin uh, talked about um, uh, submitting. Yeah, as you told uh, about submitting uh, each day or uh, one time a week, <laughs> uh, and if you can create high quality content uh, every week, just do it one monthly that's okay you know yeah yeah i think i think probably what brian dean was trying or, or was saying um and maybe, maybe the message didn't come across claiming i'd be very surprised if he said anything else is you know pushing out content desperately every day or every week if you cannot maintain it is completely pointless um or pushing out because you think you have to i mean it's an interesting point if i've been pushing out content every week for a year and then uh, the employee who had been doing it left the company. And I had nobody who could create the, the content that might even come close to that kind of quality. The question there would be, is it better to keep producing every week or to take a break until I can find somebody who can actually make this content that will be of the same quality as the content I had previously created? And the obvious answer is take a break, find somebody, then get back to it. I mean, nobody, nobody in the world expects anybody to do everything every single month or every single week. And Google is not going to punish you. I mean, in terms of SEO, if you take a break for a month, you know, we're, we're all entitled to our holidays. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, for example, Seth Godin, uh, another great <laughs> marketer, uh, I think one of the best. And uh, he told, no way, you need to write every day in your blog. And he does it. If you open Seth Godin blog, you can find uh, a lot of uh, blog posts. Uh, and uh, in his way, he explains uh, that um, when you write a lot every day, you can improve quality of your writing ideas uh, and many great offers. Right. Well, I, I would I would suggest if you're if you're not a good writer, mm -hmm. write every day, but don't publish it because you will get better. Um, well, hopefully, if you if you if you've got any kind of open mind, I mean, some people just never get better at this kind of stuff. Some people just write badly. Uh, we had a guitar player in our band; he was just crap, and he would play every day for two hours practice, and he was still as crap after three years after practicing two hours every day for three years. He just wasn't talented, and so yeah. you also have to a understand what you're going to be good at. Are you making progress or not? If you're not making progress, stop and go and do something you're more, you're more, um, you're going to do better. Oh, you're more talented. That was the word I was looking for. Just doing things over and over and over isn't going to replace talent. If you don't have talent, it's never going to happen. Um, and for, for the example, I mean, if I thought I wasn't very good at writing, but I might become good at writing, I would definitely write every day, but I wouldn't publish it if it was crap. So I would then say, okay, I'll write every day. And then after two months, when I start to think it's starting to be good, then I would start publishing every day. But I mean, somebody who actually sits down and thinks, oh, I want to write every day, very rare. I mean, who wants to get up every morning and write 300, uh, sorry, a 3,000 or 1,000 word article every single day? You must, I mean, you know, that, I, I, it's, sorry, it's not that you must be insane because somebody presumably wants to do that. But it isn't something that very many people are ever going to be able to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, so, you know, I have another suggestion. For example, uh, how I improve my uh, writing skills. Uh, for example, uh, when I started to write any English text, uh, uh, I think uh, it was uh, two years ago, and uh, I wrote all of them on my uh, LinkedIn, on social media posts, and uh, uh, on social media, you can submit all information, even if it's crap, but you can analyze it and improve a little bit every day, just uh, be consistent in this way. But if you write for your blog, yep, it's uh, only submit the best quality content if you feel that uh, this content is great, yeah, uh, and you want to yeah. share. But on social that, that, media, that, that, that's fair comment. I mean, you're, you're you're basically saying you can practice on social media and improve mm -hmm. your skills on social media, which is a fair point. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, nobody's going to assassinate you for 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 writing bad copy on on social media because we all do. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you know, if you write only in Google documents and never publish, it's uh, tough to find this motivation to go ahead. <laughs> but if you submit on LinkedIn and uh, you can analyze or Facebook, it doesn't matter, uh, and analyze how people uh, engage your content or not, and you can think, oh, I need to improve a little bit, you need to be patient to go ahead, and you can analyze it. Yeah, that's why I, I prefer to do it on social media first. Okay, sure. because that's, I think that's a, a, a good tip. Mm -hmm. I, uh, another question from Nikolai Shmichkov. Now you need to take into account not only the consonants of the name with the business, but also understand whether the name on the network is taken in the form of the site name. Uh, so well, I'm not sure about the second half, but the first half, yeah. Uh, when, mm -hmm. when creating a name for your brand, I think kind of as human beings, uh, just as we have visual... Um, preconceived ideas i we see something and it, it inspires something in our brains the consonants and the 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 sound of a word will inspire us which, which comes back to why we pay so much money to people to create these names because there is a, a hidden meaning in the sonority the way a word sounds or a way a group of words sounds uh, so for creating your brand name you have to be really careful i mean it's not something you just do like that from one day to the next. You don't necessarily have to pay somebody a fortune to do it, but you certainly have to think it through and you certainly don't take the first idea that pops into your head at three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you suggest to uh, create a new name or uh, I know it's popular to use expired domains and to find some great names there. Uh, what do you think about this Well, direction? I mean, I, I, I would certainly um, suggest that look, looking at expired domain names for inspiration would be great, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't choose a, do a, a name for my company simply because there happened to be an expired domain that, that, that made me, that, that I thought would perform. Um, mm -hmm. a, a, domain, a domain name is an address. Yeah, uh, a brand name is for life. You can change your domain name. Your brand name is really difficult to change. So you're looking at, at naming your company for the rest of its existence. So, um, I mean, I would say a domain name is expendable and a brand name isn't. Mm -hmm. no? Got it. Okay, we have the last question. Uh, right. We all remember Vences Refrigerators, the office series. Is it good brand naming in US nowadays? Well, we all remember. I don't remember Vince's refrigerators. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you mean by uh, good brand naming, but I certainly wouldn't copy the the name of any brand off The Office because The Office is a comedy series, and you would immediately look foolish. Um, mm -hmm. But um, for, for, for that, that's another kind of question as well as creativity. Some people are creative, and some people simply aren't. Um, some people find it very difficult to think of new ideas, and well, we all do, I think. But but some people have facility for doing. I mean, if you take Bob Dylan, he apparently just thought that his songs were sold for ten billion dollars or something. He's somebody who can sit down and write a song every day without any problem. He's written six hundred and seventy songs or something. Um, he's creative. All of his songs sound unique. Somebody else sits down, they're going to write exactly the same tune that they heard yesterday, but they just don't realize it. Uh, so that idea of create, creativity and brand names is something that, uh, that isn't given to everybody. And your idea of using uh, expired domain names, looking through domain names, gives you some good ideas to base it all off. Um, but once again, you know, I mean, you still need to make a decision that uh, we were talking about the sound of the word how we perceive the sound of the word, is it unique? How do we feel about it? When I hear the word, does it represent in my brain what I want to project as a brand, yes or no? Uh, and choose something you're comfortable with that you can live with. I mean, my company name is CaliCube. I'm comfortable with that, I like that name. Cali sounds mm -hmm. like quality, Cube sounds like solid. Quality, solid, CaliCube makes sense to me. <laughs> Okay, got it. Okay, thanks a lot for all Brilliant. your insights, all your answers, and uh, um, let our, our watchers, uh, where they can find you, learn more about you, uh, because I, I submitted uh, links to your profiles. If you open description, you can find uh, a lot of insights about Jason, and uh, which way is better to uh, reach right, out to yeah. you? 
Well, if you share my screen again, I'll quickly show the last uh, two slides of my presentation. The first one is for tracking, measuring, and improving your brand SERPs. There's a URL down there at the bottom. Uh, if you could take off the comment underneath, then we can see the, the URL. That would be really helpful. The, the mm -hmm. comment from, we all remember Vents' refrigerators. Oh, okay, okay, okay. sorry. Because we can actually see what, there you go. Uh, you can track your brand SERP. You can keep a check on what appears on your brand SERP across 11 different countries. Uh, and my kind of motto is track, measure, improve. Make that Google business card absolutely perfect. So you can connect with me on calicube.pro, which is the website for Calicube. Um, you can also connect with me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also, as you saw right at the beginning, just search my name and you will find me really easily. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Thank thanks, you very much. <laughs> okay, thanks guys for watching our webinar. Um, yeah, it was great discussion and uh, see you on the next webinars. Absolutely bye -bye. brilliant, thank you. Bye-bye, have fun. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.